a lot of the times there's this question of how can we get more people of color to come do the thing that we're doing? Right. And I think the, I'm like, what are, do you know any? Do you know any people of color? Maybe before you start trying to get them to come do what you're doing to make yourself feel better, find out what people of color are doing where you live and go meet some people. Go to their events. Yes. All right, Faith Briggs. I do you. I'm gonna give you the title as it is from your website. I pulled this straight from the website. Okay. <laughs> so this is super official. Creative producer, partner at Camp Four Collective, all around professional nerd. Oh, that's very relevant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what's he gonna say? Yes, yes. <laughs> that was my that was my favorite one. I was like reading this, like, oh yeah, yeah, Camp Four. I'm like, that's that's dope. Camp Four doing I'm like, okay, yeah, creative producer. I know you Discovery Channel time. You had all this. All around professional nerd. Not 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 just a little bit, not just one sector, all around mm -hmm. professional nerd. How did you come up with that title for yourself? Mm. <laughs> I think I think because it was actually one of my struggles, I think, trying to take academic and intellectual topics that have like a very specific kind of place and language to them and translate that into film and into stories that can be understood and accessed by a lot of different people was like a struggle. I think because my background's definitely in academia and you know when I was graduating from undergrad and I chose to go to film school I think most of my professors were like what are you doing we all <laughs> thought you were going to a PhD program from Yale undergrad at Yale <laughs> yes uh-huh um so I think like you know having this I I love learning I'm so curious like I wish I had time to read all these books <laughs> around me constantly that I want to read so I think that is what it is. It's like, I am certainly, I'm a big nerd. I love it. And that is something I've been able to turn into a career. <laughs> yeah. Very, very majestically, as well as <laughs> aggressively, ugly, ugly, ugly. <laughs> yep. Like very, like all the snot in the mountains and all of the beauty in the city and everything in between. Totally. <clears throat> I think that's, yeah. I, <laughs> All around professional nerd. I can absolutely imagine, and I never even thought about this in all the time knowing your time at Yale and, and everything. I never imagined the perspective of one of your professors to hear that you are going. What did you study at Yale? I studied um, African American studies and film studies. Okay. So it shouldn't have been like that. That's not a huge leap. But it was. Um, <clears throat> It was a lot of film theory and criticism. So I was primarily like my background was representation and media, mm -hmm. looking at historically and ongoing, how are we represented? What are the cultural ramifications of those narrow and stereotypical images of people that exist in the world? Controlling images. Yeah. What is one from your from your time at Yale, what is one of the most like this was like an epiphany moment for me that 
sticks with you still to this day that kind of made a, a shift for you that, that you recall from your, your time in undergrad? Hmm. You know, I think <clears throat> it's not so, well, maybe this answers your question, maybe not, but I remember, um, I really struggled with science, mm-hmm. um, for a lot of reasons. I think, you know, I was an athlete while I was there, so I just had less time every day to study and devote to the harder things. Mm-hmm. And so I struggled with these different science classes. And I remember because of track, I missed an exam. And so I had to take the exam by myself <laughs> my senior year <laughs> in this like, you know, building up on Science Hill. So I had to walk up there, I remember, and it took the exam and it was like, it felt like this was gonna be like make it or break it for me. And I took the exam and then I walked down the hill and I sat on this wall and I opened my textbook and I looked at the answers that I should have <laughs> written down and I cried. No. I cried. And I remember just being like, why am I not good at this? <laughs> And it's so interesting because I think the epiphany has actually come way, way later moving out here and getting involved in fly fishing and feeling like it's the coolest science classroom I've ever been in and being like, I'm actually not bad at science. I actually really love this. I just needed to learn it in a way that I understood. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not a, I, I don't have a great memory. I don't remember a bunch of facts and like, spit them back out i need to understand everything that's going on yeah and so once x's came in the math and like things just like <laughs> i just needed i was like but why though where are my numbers at why did they put it where? here like i just so i'm a full picture person and so i yeah. often was kind of like it was implied to me a lot that i was asking the wrong questions because i was always trying to understand the why behind the thing i was being asked to do and Mm -hmm. it was like can you just do the thing that we're asking you to do Mm -hmm. here and i was like but i really couldn't understand it yeah if i didn't understand like why i was doing these things so i i really struggled there um and the other thing these are not epiphanies they're just like the the memories that kind of really stuck with me as same thing 246 church street financial aid building I walked out of that place, leaned against the brick wall and cried on so many occasions because I really couldn't afford to be there. And I was there, but I couldn't afford to be there. And you and I have talked a lot about trying to get financially right Mm -hmm. and trying to figure it all out. And Mm -hmm. that is still something that I wouldn't tell a kid to do things differently, but I kind of wish more options had been presented to me. I can relate to that. 100%. 100%. So, seriously, this is the same story, same thing. Uh, I feel like the collegiate application system and that process is so predatory in, yes. in a beautifully presented package. Mm-hmm. And part of that was never did anybody say, this is what the cost will look like for you, mm-hmm. ever. And when I started, when I transferred, I went I went community college and then transferred into Cal. And when I transferred in, I thought I was completely under the impression that I had to <laughs> that I had to take a course over the summer. So you get your acceptance, you know, March, April, whatever. You start in the fall. I was completely made to believe that if I didn't sign up and register for a course that summer, 
then I would know in my whole acceptance in the cow would be void. I was led to believe this entirely. So I'm not living in the area over the summer, right? I'm back home, school's out, I'm back, back up in Washington State. And I'm like, how am I going to, not even close can I afford this. I'm literally going to have to drive down and live in my car sort of thing. And then it's like, oh, there's online courses. Brilliant. Okay. I have never done an online course. Let's just do one of the ones that I wouldn't really want to, you know, necessarily partake in in the first place. So chemistry. I take chemistry, <laughs> chemistry online at UC Berkeley from Washington State. I'm taking this course over the summer when I it, I never needed to take this course. Oh. I was just led to believe that. And then further down the line, I was treated as uh, an out of state uh, student when I had lived in California at this time for six years, entirely full time, everything, right? I was working there for six years, paying taxes in and out. I had dropped out of school like three times by this time. I was a California state resident for years and they want, they were trying to charge me, you know, all this stuff. So I had, there was a whole legal battle. It was this whole thing that I had to do, right? Solo. I didn't have representation. I was like, let me go to, oh go to war gosh. with the courts, not just UC Berkeley. It was the whole university of California system oh that I had gosh. to go to court. So I'm like documenting like all this stuff, all this stuff. And that was the first time that I realized how much school costs. This is, this is, this is at the end. It started at the end of my first semester there and I finished by the, the whole legal battle finished by second semester. So I had a good few months that I'm scrambling, trying to get all this stuff, all this stuff. The school went from $30,000 a semester down to like $6,000 yeah. a semester or something, right? Even that for a college kid, is like, especially that's just tuition. That's not even books. That's not even, that's nothing other than, than tuition. Mm -hmm. If you're lucky enough to go in state, if you're lucky enough for all these things. So when you have those moments of, I can't afford this. Like I, I felt that, you know, I for sure, I vibe with you on that 100%. And it's, it's something that it's hard to say. I don't recommend that you do this same thing. Cause there is so much value there, but it is something that definitely needs a lot more attention and transparency up front, front loaded transparency. Yes. Well, and it's, it's hard because you're like, what are the epiphanies I had at Yale? Like I had an amazing time there. My experience was wonderful. Yeah. Still some of my best friends are the people I met there. And, and, and when you ask me that question, like <clears throat> these moments of like, oh, I think that they're really like, they're unlearning moments or they're like, things are not as they seem kind of moments. Yeah. And those stick with you because they impact the way that you see the world yeah. in a different way. So that's not my entire experience, but I do think there are parts of every experience that you go through, but also my experience at Yale that in the times later, I had to really reckon with what I thought versus the way things were. <laughs> <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean? Unpack that a little more. Well, I mean like, I was told, and I mean, now I feel like we're talking about education, but like I went to this super preppy boarding school in Connecticut, mm -hmm. found it myself online, didn't really know what I was getting myself into, um, went to that school and had um, a lot of financial help based on my family's um, background. Mm -hmm. So I expected the same at Yale, but there was this like strange formula 
that did a lot of things. And I actually had to go back and forth around that formula later on. And I had money returned that I had taken out as loans. Not enough. Wow. But there was the formula was so strange. And it's just like they fit every kid into the formula. Mm. And the stories of who you are don't work in there. So, you know, my dad was a pastor. We didn't own our home, but our home was being counted as income in a strange way. So it was all this stuff. And I really had to learn how to advocate for myself and learn what all these numbers meant so I could go over and over again. I mean, they knew me by name in that financial aid office because I was like, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like, I was in there like, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and it, and, but it's, but it's interesting because, because I went to the super preppy boarding school, um, when I got into Yale, it was like, oh, wonderful. You know where you're going to school. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever asked me how much does Yale cost? Mm-hmm. Where else did you apply to? How much do those places cost? Right. Are you going to be able to work while you're in school? You're an athlete. Maybe, are, did you look at places that do give full athletic scholarships? Right. Um, none of those questions were asked. It was like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, you got into Yale. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. You're going to be a Yale. Like that was like the full conversation. And I had a wonderful time at Yale. And yet now I just want, kids to know that there are so many great colleges there are amazing professors mm-hmm. yes the name opens doors later on but what are you gonna be nobody said like <laughs> hey Faith, <laughs> are you going into finances or are you gonna be a documentary filmmaker right because my friends that were doing barclays internships every summer yeah we're making more money in college than I was. I was a camp counselor every single year. <laughs> like, I loved it. I loved yeah. my kids. But it's, you know, it's a very different, <clears throat> I don't know. I don't want to discourage anyone. I do want us to really see how much money that is yeah. and that you're going to have to pay it back because that yeah. was monopoly money to me. Yeah. I was like, it's not real. It's just all of a sudden you just fill out this paperwork and then that appears and you're able to be here. What's the difference between 65K and 70K? Yeah. At like, that point. That's, yeah. You're like, okay, well, let's do it. Well, $5,000. $5,000. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> especially college kid money. Like, if that's... you are coming out of a, like, in your early 20s and 5k doesn't yeah. have real value to it you're about to be in trouble yeah for managing finances later in your for life for real so that's real yeah i think that kind of stuff really until i hit 30 mm-hmm. i wasn't really like 30 was the first time where i was like i need to understand and manage my finances yeah i <laughs> oh, like, I yeah i mean in talking to you when we like when we first met like I don't know. We started talking about like financial wellness early mm-hmm. and it was you were one of the first and few people I was having conversations like that with. Seriously. It just wasn't talked about. See, okay, this is one of the big this is one of the biggest things for me that I am actively and all if any of my friends are listening to this or family, they they know this. I'm actively trying to combat that generational perspective around you don't talk about money Mm -hmm. and you know these are these are things we don't discuss we don't discuss religion we don't discuss money we don't Mm -hmm. you know and and that to me is so far off first of all i don't subscribe to the the school of thought that there are things that are off limits for discussion Mm -hmm. there's just different ways to talk about things and you should be strategic in in having communication right which we'll get into here in a bit but money and and chatting about this you look around and it's rare to have somebody that's completely out of debt. Mm-hmm. 
in the United States. Mm-hmm. It's very rare, right? So <laughs> when I think of this and I think, okay, I spent some time learning about a lot of like self-education as well as career path education where I've learned a lot about financial wellness, investing, things like this. I'm like, this is what I need to be talking to people about because I never even had access to somebody that had any level of information on this. And I have at least a basic level that's a little bit more, let's always talk about this. So to hear this and that I'm the first one at 30 years old, this was the start for you. I'm like, dang. It was you and and Ray's parents. Really? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. That is God. beautiful. That's, I mean, that's why like having great friends who their family's like your family mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like their family can give you stuff that your family didn't necessarily know how to give yeah you. that's that's it that's you are an all-around professional <laughs> nerd all right <laughs> so so i have to touch on this because you you said you said yourself you don't have a great memory and and you weren't good at remembering things and then a breath later you recited the address for the financial aid office at Yale. That is trauma. <laughs> <laughs> That's what trauma looks like. <laughs> this is what it shows up like. Trauma is showing up this way. Okay. It'll make you remember. <laughs> it's imprinted. Tattooed on the mind. Okay. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Okay. But this is one of the things I've been most curious about. There are exactly two people in my life that have always blown me away in their memories of people by name and their identities, whether that's a professional identity or a hobby identity, whatever it is that that characterizes them. You and Talia, <laughs> you are, I, I, I cannot remember a time where you guys go, oh, what was that person's name? You always remember names. It's ridiculous to me. It's it's mind blowing, and I'm very curious about what is what do you even attribute that to? Is there a process that you go through where you're like, okay, when I meet somebody, you know, people here like, oh yeah, when you meet somebody, match their name to this thing, and then in your head it's this. Is there a process that you go through when you meet someone, or after you meet them, or anything later on? Like, are you? I met this person today. I'm at home and I'm reciting their name 47 times. <laughs> How do you do it? How do you remember people so well? You know, it's it's funny to hear you say that because I'm always like, oh, I'm terrible at names, you know, to myself. Yeah. I think, um, and I, like, when it comes to, like, what actor played in what movie, I am, like, not the one. Yeah, I'm <laughs> um, with you on that. But I think, I mean, a few things maybe contributed to it. I worked in a coffee shop for, like, three years, and we had to write people's names down. And, you know, you'd come in and you'd get whatever your thing was. Um, I mean, I'm literally going to like Brian was one of my favorite regulars. Mm -hmm. He came into the university place coffee shop and he got two large Earl Grey teas into go bags full with like you would leave like an inch and a half out and you put milk in them instead. And then he was a university professor and he had to take the train to work every day. So he would drink one on his way to the train, waiting for the train. And then he would drink the other one on the train on his way to work. <laughs> and writing down people's names in a city like New York City that is so anonymous and being able to say like, hey, Ryan, was like a joy to my day and a joy to his day. So I think like it was also, you know, a time when you could see who didn't want to tell you their name because 
of pronunciation. So some would come in and be like, Ooh. um, I'm Jay. Right. You know, be like, oh, yep, you got blah, 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 coffee and the number seven sandwich. What's your name? Jay. And you'd be like, yeah. what's your name? Yeah. <laughs> and then they'd say, here's the full name. And I would often be like, cool. Like, and you know, they it became a joy just to be able to say people's yeah. names. Like I'd have people come in who were Nigerian and I would be like, Oh, Adesida, and write it down and spell it right. And they'd be like, I'm sorry, how the <laughs> hell did you know how to spell my name? Like, how could you know right. how to say my name? And I'm like, because you know how many Nigerians are up in this place? <laughs> We're in America, okay? <laughs> but, you know, and I would encourage them. I'd be like, well, the next time I get a Seku, like, I'll know how to say their name right. So just tell me what your name is. And yeah. I think that is back to, like, taking up space and seeing people and feeling... N- quote unquote normal in a world that says you're not normal all the time. So I think, I guess that experience names felt important to me. And I think it did make me listen a little more when Mm -hmm. I introduce myself to people and vice versa. So if you're shaking a hand and someone says, blah, 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 I will remember now versus later and be like, I'm sorry, say your name one more time Yeah, and get it then versus we get to this weird point back to like things we're not allowed to talk about. It's like, I met them six times already. (laughs) versus like asking twice at the very beginning because i think we are like yeah. there's all this there's like the ritual you're shaking hands blah, blah blah you're meeting people and like yeah there's so much going on and just being like one more time what was it yeah it's like i think helpful that's beautiful it's an exercise in listening it is and that's it that's what that's what blows me away because you are both you and talia you're eggs like I would put you easily top 10 listeners I've ever met. Thank you. Yeah. And that's a that's a huge skill. You know, it's something that people people will they'll attend, but not listen. You know, like I'm here. I'm hearing you. But then just not listening. And and you guys are so great at that. And I'm going to ask her the same damn question, too, when we sit down and talk, because this is something that's been on my mind. But this honestly, I can I can see this in my head already. I'm like. I'm going to remember your perspective, your time at the coffee shop, and the importance of names and everything like that in New York City specifically. And Brian and his two Earl Grays. Shout out to Brian. Yeah, Professor Brian. In so many years, I wonder how he's doing. But no, I mean those people that. Yeah, I'm like Phil with the smoothie. Like you know, just like people that being a regular at a place is still really cool to me. Same here. That's something I've admired for my as long as i can remember and i don't have a spot that i'm like oh i'm a regular here which i need to get that we got a spot now going on sundays for real yep conscious at la perlita you are welcome to come be a regular with us hey hey you know it's like the first place i'm really well the second place i'm like a regular in portland and it's really great and i i will say you know about listening i gotta give the credit to my my parents for that one my dad would ask me all the time he was like are you listening? Or are you waiting to speak? And so yeah. I catch myself constantly. If I'm about to, like, uh, I just stop. Yeah. I wait. I'm like, look, listen. Right. And if you forget it, you probably didn't need to say it that bad anyway. You know? Oh my. Um, Your pops is yeah, such dad, a G. That's a G. He's got <laughs> really so, is. I swear, everything I've ever heard about this man is magical. Yeah. That's, oh man, that's legit. That's a beautiful trait. That's something to, to pass on generation. Mm-hmm. I mean, even in the same generation, right? To friends and everything. That's something I would love to be reminded. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I 
will talk and, and bulldoze frequently because I get so excited. And so even with Jeanette, like conversations where Jeanette and I, there are times where we have to go, okay, just a moment, you know, I'm, I'm, let me finish this. And then you could jump in, you know, and cause she's the same, like passionate. Oh, I want to hit this point. I want to hit that point. But there is something about the importance of what you choose to say. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Well, if you don't remember it at the end of this massive monologue, however long it may right, be, right. it probably wasn't that impactful that you needed to speak on it anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the things that hit will hit for sure. That, man, that's, this is some gold. I'm, I have a few things. I'm, I'm taking Brian and his Earl <laughs> Grace. Are you listening to speak? This is, okay, this is good. But this also takes me to identity and a lot of different, how to connect different things, how to connect different people. Um, you being an all-around professional nerd and connecting a lot of different skills that you've developed over your lifetime, a lot of different experiences. You spend a ton of time, not just in the books, like I'm literally looking around here. We're in your place right now and I'm looking around <laughs> and you have loads of books and always have. You've gifted me more books than anybody I know, but you don't get to dive into all the books you want to. And I know that feeling because I feel the same. I With- know you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I seriously, I, I, I want to just take my winters and just, okay, just you're going to spend the winter in a cabin completely removed from the world and you're just surrounded by books and that's what you do every day that's a dream i might make it happen this winter coming up i love it so this is a right now we have stop asian hate Mm -hmm. as a as a big movement in the u.s um potentially globally i we're coming off of last year which was a massive push with black lives matter Uh, a lot of different identities there's a lot going on in um identity politics and around this i i would say you are probably the most qualified person that i personally know to speak to these things but also understand that you have pretty much no ego in this which is different from a lot of people that that have a stance a platform take a stance or anything a lot of people operate from a place of ego and i think you're a perfect voice for people to listen to because you have a ton of knowledge, but you also are aware that things change. Uh, new information comes out, and the, as the world shifts, there's things that we, everybody, we don't know, even though you are a professional nerd. So I want to first figure out, I think the foundation here is figuring out why to you, with all of the skills that you have, why is it important to you that you spend time around identity? Why is that even something that that you would say, you know what, this is what I'm going to give my my time to, whether it's books or panels or anything that you do. Why that and nothing and not nothing, but why that and specifically that over other things? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I think that misunderstanding and fear is what causes a lot of this hate that we're seeing. Um, people are afraid of being replaced. People are afraid of saying the wrong thing. Um, and I think that by spending time around identity, we can see each other better. That is really the goal. Like seeing someone and actually understanding something about them versus seeing the stereotype 
these narrative and controlling images and thinking we know X, Y, and Z about a person based on the images that we've seen. And I think, you know, the hatred and violence against the AAPI, Asian American Pacific Island community in the past year based on these false allegations of of that community somehow being the cause of or more likely to be carriers of the COVID-19 virus. Um, And now this horrific mass murder in Atlanta, it is tragic in a, it's tragic and it's tragic. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's got me confused in like a whole new way. I can't lie. Like I, I think so many of issues around race in America are black and white. Mm -hmm. And so being black and white, I have had my identity and my issues front and center. It hasn't been more just, but it's at least been acknowledged. Right. And I think over the years, you know, I kind of did my first project around um, Native American cultural appropriation in 2013. And I learned from so many folks during that process, Native folks during that process, that it's not just that for many of them, first they have to say, I exist. Right. See me. We're still here. Yeah. And then they get to fight all of these deficit statistics and things that are hitting their communities. Yeah. And it's so, it's so, and none of us are a monolith. Black people are not a monolith. Natives are not a monolith. Asian folks are not a monolith, clearly. Mm-hmm. And like, and yet there's, you know, these, these two kind of, there's so many different misunderstandings of Asian Americans specifically. There's the model minority myth, which says that unlike other minorities, Asians come to the United States and they get into good schools and they go to good colleges and they're smart and they get good jobs and they make money and blah, blah, blah. First of all, that's not even the case for everybody. You know, Mm -hmm. people have come here as immigrants and refugees in so many different waves from so many different countries. There is colorism within the Asian American community as well. Mm -hmm. Um, The the colorism that exists in the United States impacts the Asian American community as well. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there are these strange cultural ideas that we have in the United States where, oh, Japanese people do this. So that means they're X, Y, and Z. And Korean people do this if we even know Korea exists. So they do X, Y, and Z. And Chinese people do this. And we have this hierarchy even of what those identities are that Asian folks have to then try to navigate here. you know, and there's such a history of Black and Asian solidarity. You know, folks like Grace Lee Boggs and Yuri Kochiyama, who was um, homies with Malcolm X, and she got a lot of flack because of her decision to stand with Black Americans. Um, so that is not new. Right. Um, and But I think the choice to identify as a woman of color, as an Asian woman, one of my best friends, Hien, she's Viet and German, and she has called herself a woman of color for such a long time. And to realize that that is a, for many people, it's an unpopular choice. Right. Because she is subjecting herself to the reality of who she is, but maybe would have an out, you know, to be white passing. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of Asian folks who have been white passing in the past, it's like, 
I don't blame them, you right. know, because right. A, there's it's so hard to avoid some of what your parents are telling you mm-hmm. will keep you safe. Mm-hmm. So much of the things our parents tell us are just trying to keep us safe. Right. And how can you not, how can parents and, and immigrants to this country, how can they not soak in these lies about who's doing what, right. what Latinx folks are doing, what black people are doing? So all of us are equally susceptible to the same virus in this country, that virus being hate and that virus being prejudice and that virus being racism. And that gets trickled down in many different ways in many different communities. And so it's, it's sad to me for so many reasons. I think what is very sad to me recently is I just have been like, do you not have any Asian friends? (laughs) What is going on here? Like how can, the idea, and I think this is what's so hard in terms of like identity and perspective and do we actually see each other mm-hmm. is like, based on my friends my whole life, <laughs> these ideas about like what are the things that impact different Asian American communities at different levels, mm-hmm. none of them are new. Yeah, And I'm not trying to like pat my own self on the back. Like I get it because there's yeah. so much I do not understand and will never understand based mm-hmm. on the fact that I am not Asian. Right. Um, but I do think between, you know, some of our good friends, we have to shout out Ryan in this yep. moment who yep. is Blasian and hilarious and yes. talks about those identities um, so much in all of his different platforms. And, you know, they're my best friends. And I remember myself, like they're black and Chinese and like, their mom's from Taiwan. And when we, I remember living together after college and seeing just, I was, I was like, oh, you really, like you eat with chopsticks. <laughs> yeah. Next level, you know, just like, oh. And and wondering what that would be like to navigate the world every day and have a part of yourself not be recognized. Right. Um. So, I mean, I think that identity is so important because if we could really see each other and understand each other, we would know how much we have in common and we would know who the real enemy is which is the 1%, like not always. There's a lot of great philanthropists, but but our country has survived and our capitalist system has survived based on divide and conquer. Mm -hmm. That is how we make it in this country. The lie of race, the lie of racial hierarchy, the lie of who is of value and what identities are value is what has made us be these crabs in a barrel pulling each other down for centuries and decades Mm -hmm. with the people who have money sitting around betting on who's gonna win like that is literally what and it's just so sad to hear and it it happens with everyone i mean we you know we we got latinx friends whose parents told them like don't be hanging out with those millennials over there like Mm -hmm. don't be getting into trouble with those black kids you Mm -hmm. know and and it is natural for people to try to protect against what they don't know. Mm-hmm. So the identity conversations can change us that we do know. Right. <laughs> ideally. Right. Right. I think I I 100% agree with everything there as well. Uh, you listed Ryan Holmes. Just to clarify, you can find him on Instagram. I, I think it's Ryan. Alex Holmes. Ryan A. Holmes. Orion Alex Holmes. I'm not sure, but you could find him on uh, either my Instagram or Faith's Instagram through the friends list. But Ryan uh, Alex H. Ryan Alex H. Holmes. <laughs> Holmes with an L M E S. But it's only Ryan Alex H. 
Oh. So you don't even have to spell that. Bam. Okay. Instagram <laughs> at Ryan Alex H. Uh, terrific resource also for identity, mm-hmm. uh, especially um, black and Chinese or, or just Blasian identity. You hit on a ton of things there that were like, bam, 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 like a, a ton of gold. So for one, like you mentioned, there's certain things that you will never understand. Like you're not patting yourself on the back. It's not something like, oh, I get it. I get it. I've been knowing these things and now everybody's brand new to this. I relate to that on a some level. Part of that being when there was the, the mass murder in Atlanta Everybody posting, you know, stop Asian hate, stop Asian hate. And it was, for me, it was similar to a year ago, right? With George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery. A lot of similarities where you're seeing people jump on board and showing the support socially, whatever whatever case that looks like for them. The thing that really frustrated me, and I actually had a beautiful moment that was a teaching moment for me out of this, which was I posted something on Instagram that was basically along the lines, this is not new, mm-hmm. right? This is the, the hate of the Asian community. This is not new here, mm-hmm. right? So people are treating it as if this is a brand new thing. They're treating this one instance as this was some crazy event that just happened and wow, things boiled up to this point. And to me, this was not a boiling point. This wasn't a boiling point that this has kind of been lurking underneath the surface for a while and heating up, heating up, heating up, and then boom, here we're at this. That was not what this was. We had four years of language that was around the Kung flu virus and the China virus and all these things that obviously do not help the cause. There's, so, so I posted something on Instagram that was, um, it was, Japanese concentration camps, mm-hmm. but I I worded it as internment camps, mm-hmm. and I was schooled mm-hmm. on the difference in a beautiful way, mm-hmm. right? I was having this conversation with um, a friend who actually, I'm hoping to have her on the podcast next week, uh, a friend, Kim, and she was, we were just kind of discussing this and, and the experience. This was, I think, maybe two, a day after or two days, we were working on a job together. And, and I was, we were just chopping it up on this topic. And she had, took the moment and she was like, seeing me with all the passion and all the support and everything. And she's like, that's amazing. You know, we had our talk, we had our talk. And then at the end, she's like, real quick, can, can I just share with you? There, there's a difference between internment and concentration camps. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, I I thought these were interchangeable terms. Mm -hmm. And I was schooled that a concentration camp is a a place of imprisonment of the sort where it's people of that state or of that nation, right? So Mm -hmm. residents, you are actually an American Mm -hmm. resident, an Mm -hmm. American citizen, I should say, uh, and, and you are held in these camps. So that's a concentration camp. It's within your nation that you are a citizen in. Internment camp is something that's otherizing mm-hmm. in a different way, <clears throat> which is uh, okay. You, you're you're coming in as a refugee, or you're you're some sort of outsider. Outside, mm-hmm. you are not a citizen of this nation, mm-hmm. and you're being held in camps here. Mm-hmm. And that was a distinction that that she made for me mm-hmm. at the time, which. I, again, I thought these were just interchangeable. I didn't know there was a difference at all. I mm-hmm. didn't even know. I thought 
oh, a concentration camp or an internment camp, that's something that you're just holding people regardless mm -hmm. of where they came from or anything, right? Based on identity, whatever it may be. Well, I also thought that it was just America trying to sound better than our foes. Oh. Like they had concentration camps in Germany and we now mm -hmm. understand what that means during mm -hmm. World War II. But we had internment camps here. Right. Which doesn't Sounds say a little bit softer. We went into people's homes, rounded them up. Against their will. Against their will. Many of whom lost jobs, lost land, homes. lost houses, mm -hmm. lost all of that. And put Japanese people into these camps. Right. A part of our history that we do not learn about. Right. Same thing with Chinese exclusion laws. Mm -hmm. Same with the fact that. We live in Oregon where deeds here said no black, no Chinese. Right. There were signs and windows that said no black, no Chinese. This was in the Oregon Constitution, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. The Constitution of this very state. Of this very state where yeah. we live. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think <clears throat> a part of that too is, I mean, I've been so, yeah, I've been so many places. I remember spending time in Trinidad working on a project and I came back and my, my sister was looking at my work and she was like, those people don't look like they from Trinidad. And I was like, there are Asian people everywhere in right. this world for many reasons. Also, labor. Like yeah. Chinese people have been brought for cheap labor mm -hmm. to so many places and then discarded when that labor was no longer Completely. necessary. Completely. And that is a huge part of our history that we also don't talk about. Correct. Ryan and I dove into this quite a few times together, even on, uh, on we had an Instagram live back in, I think it was December, early January about this and mm -hmm. um, about the resiliency of Chinese folks from entering into the U.S. Throughout, through tunnels from Mexico, right? From Juarez, Whoa. tunnels underground into El Paso, sitting underneath schools because they could hear the lessons through the floorboards and that's how the that's how the children were educated and everything because they only the only males were allowed in as laborers and even then especially pertaining to the the railroad system in the u.s they were not sought after this was completely fought the white folks that were in charge that were you know were building the railroad all this stuff they wanted white people to be building the railroad they couldn't get enough workers somebody suggested oh hey well you know why don't we do this and it was fought mm -hmm. i mean we do not want that we don't want chinese people here doing anything anything like this it was fought so it's not even the case necessarily that this was oh hey you know let's let's give you guys a shot let's see how it goes mm -mm. it was we have no other option and that's a terrible position right when you're especially when you're talking about the carryover of you're talking about the carryover of things you mentioned um you know, from from the war and, and capturing, literally mm -hmm. capturing Japanese folks, um, loss of land, loss of things like this. The compounding effect of that, not just socially, psychology, uh, psychologically, but also in terms of economics. I mean, you, if you had money back then and you were able to pass these things down in the family generationally, the compounding effect of that is insane. So there's there's a ton of effects around all of these things. But to my point, this isn't something new, you mm -hmm. know, and people are treating it as such. And it was it was very frustrating to see for me. And so I was frustrated, too. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know why I felt more feel more frustrated around that than I even do <laughs> around like people being like, wait, what? 
Black Lives Matter. Like, why? Why do we need to say that specifically? Like, the, you know, but I think for it to be so like, I had no idea. I, it's just mm-hmm. how, how can you have no idea again? Yeah, that, you know, but I think grace comes in quite a lot to know that a lot of people have not been asked to look at life outside of their own experience. Correct. And if your own experience has been either gilded or um, segregated, um, yeah. you know, and I think people think that segregation literally means a sign in the window that says, um, you know, no blacks not allowed. allowed. Right. Um, but I have so many people that I went to even high school with who I was their first black friend. Yeah. And there's so many people that they get to college and they don't know. That's any, real. You know, like you, the only person you know who's a person of color is the person that was being paid to take care of you when you were younger. Mm-hmm. That is the case for a lot of people. And so True. it's, that is also segregation. Very much, very much so. So I have a question around building solidarity, right? We, we've we've seen these, these events, we've seen these major movements in these movements, right? The major growth in these movements, especially in the last 365, right? Black Lives Matter, Stop Asian Hate. What do you think is more important in building, building solidarity for folks that are unfamiliar with the ins and outs of these? Because one of the the experiences I had was with Kim. She we she could have, and I think a lot of people operate in this way where she could have straight up stopped me. Oh, stop calling them internment camps and and kind of gotten aggressive or or really upset or irritated or anything with me. She could have done that, and she could have been rightfully angry or upset with that, right? But the way that this played out naturally, the way that this played out was she's seeing that my heart is in the right place and that I, I have a genuine curiosity, a genuine passion, a, a genuine support, a genuine hunger for understanding. And she treated it exactly as anybody would of the right mind, which is, oh, okay, you, you, this person is incorrect in the terminology here, but heart's in the, in the right place. The terminology isn't as important as the concepts. And so this is something where people, totally. especially, I have I have conversations with, white friends that I'm like, you guys can talk to me about anything at all mm-hmm. because A, they're my friends. So I know their heart. I know where they're coming from. I know these things, even if they're ignorant, even if they they genuinely don't understand stuff, they don't come at me in some sideways action. You know, it's, it's genuine. Even if they're using the wrong terminology, I'll correct them later. And this is how it just flows, right? There are bigger issues to talk about than what to call this thing if we both understand what we're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, we need to get to those. Yes, we need to correct those. But that's not the importance, right? The important thing is, what's the concept? And then we can dial down terms. So where people go, you know, white folks, ah, man, I just don't really know how to talk to black people because I don't want to say the wrong thing. And then they get really mad and angry or, or, or want to fight me or something, you know, for saying the wrong word or the wrong this or that. I think there's a, a responsibility as the listener. Are you listening just to say something, right? Shout out Papa Briggs. <laughs> or are you actually listening, right, mm-hmm. to hear this person? And when we do listen, I feel like we understand a lot more and accomplish a lot more because we're able to talk about stuff and have that moment of, hey, Anthony, let me school you on this. You know, these are there's a difference here, right? What do you think is more important here? Is it... 
Is it more important to create interest in the community or is it more important to um, educate folks who, who are unfamiliar, right? How, or I guess, how would we build more interest in educating folks on things that they don't know the ins and outs on around identity? Hmm. Hmm. Well, you made me think of three things while you were talking. Beautiful. One, you made me think about tone policing. Two, you made me think about the difference between being an ally and a co-conspirator. Mm-hmm. And three, you made me think about... Oh, did I just lose it? That's okay. I think it'll come back. It'll come back. Those I are think, two good ones. Sorry. You know, I my tone is very patient and very academic. Right. Because of all of the privileges that I have been um, influenced by and have had access to my whole life. Right. My stability gives me a lot of confidence and allows me to be in a place where I can, I feel I can be patient and academic. That doesn't mean my tone is the right tone. And I think that is something that was really a, a personal challenge for me during the, um, beginnings of the black lives matter uprisings or the second wave of the black lives matter uprising in 2020 where people were coming to me as if i had the right voice Mm. and i felt it was very necessary to make it very clear that there is not one right way to talk about justice and there is not one specific experience that is the one that should be listened to so Mm. and i think particularly I'll, I'll speak specifically around black women, you know, the narratives about us that have existed have made it so that we are either sassy right. or bitches mm-hmm. or, you know, and these are directly related to the images that were created of us as sapphires, as mammies. It overly sexualized us, it desexualized us, whatever was important to say right. um, about us in order for us to be non-threatening to everyone. Right. <laughs> right. And so there is a lot of tone policing that happens of how people say the thing when the thing they're trying to say is like, this is wrong. Yeah. So I think that it's really important as a as someone who is listening to be able to listen regardless of the tone and know that sometimes it's going to be uncomfortable and sometimes it's not going to sound great. And sometimes it's not going to sound loving because people are frustrated because people are dying yeah. and have been dying our whole lives um you know i think yesterday when you start having thoughts about being unsafe it shows you like what is happening in the world and strangely enough yesterday for some reason i was about to go take a shower and i thought to myself oh i should go lock the door right because what if someone came into my house and wanted to hurt me what why am i having that thought right but everything that's happening in the world right now made me have that thought for probably the first time in my life. Really? And I was like, oh, I got to go lock the door. And I remember when I was still living in New York, 2015, I was 2015, 2016. I spent a lot of times out at Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter rallies in New York. Um, we were rocked by the killings of a lot of people, Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin, Eric Garner, um, Eric Garner specifically in New York. And I remember being on a run for the first time and thinking, oh, shoot, I shouldn't have both these headphones in because what if a cop was calling for me and I didn't hear them and then they shot me? 
was a was a thought that I had while running. Right. And I remember stopping and taking my headphone out, but then also being like, why do I have to think about that? Right. Is it a real fear? And then you feel gaslit for thinking about something like that. And then however many years later, you know, we have Ahmaud Arbery killed while running. Right. So how can you ask someone who has to contend with those kinds of thoughts every day of their life to please have a nicer tone with you. Like that's Ooh. bananas, you know, that's crazy. So wow. I think the tone policing one is a big one because we really want to hear it nice a lot right. of the times. Um, and people of color, we deal with discomfort so much that it's just a part of the air. Someone said, oh, who was it? Someone said recently, racism is, is not the shark. It is the whole ocean that we swim with. And I was like stunned. And I, I remember by the end of this who said it because I was like stunned. I was like, it is pervasive. It's not yeah. the shark. It is literally the thing that we walk right. through every day. And we are so used to having to fight against it. And other people are so used to not even seeing it. Right. Um, so I think in terms of educating I think education is important. I don't think we need to expect everyone to have the patience to do that at all or every yeah. day. Right. Um, and then the other side of that is everyone doesn't have the language for that either. So right. every person walking down the street now, there's a lot of people that are like, whoa, someone's coming to me to ask me about black people stuff and I'm just here being black, but right. I don't have this language to tell you how to interact with me. Right. Like I'm just overnight not gonna become some teacher. I'm just like trying to get to work exactly. <laughs> you know, and do the thing. and. Everyone in their work environments now is being asked, hey, can you help us write this statement on blah, blah, right. blah, blah? And right. it's a catch 22 because you want to be, it matters. Mm -hmm. And also, some they need to hire someone who does that stuff, Right. who knows how to do it. Like you should be able to opt in to yes. being an educator, I think. Oh my God, that's, I, I, was, I, was, I was chatting on this panel uh, with a school out in New York, literally. It was high school economics, um, pretty much entirely school students of color. And this was one of the key things. The entire panel, we were all black folks of different professions from attorneys, teachers, coaches, mm -hmm. you name it. And this was one of the questions was, what is the biggest challenge you've, you've had to deal with around your racial identity in your professional career? And this was a unanimous among us all, which was the, the most challenging aspect hasn't been anybody else. It's been with ourselves and figuring out how do I how do I deal with those moments where you are asked to be the spokesperson for your entire people? Yep. And maybe it's a terrible day for you and you don't have the words, even if you normally do. Yep. Or you just do not have the words, right? And that was unanimous. It, it was baffling to me because we were all on the same, like, wow, same page, completely different career fields, completely different parts of the world. And we were all like, yeah, the hard part is being comfortable with ourselves to say it is not my job today to educate you go google it mm -hmm. and be okay with that feeling as though you still support you still are a big part of your community of the black community right where in that moment it's like well okay i could i could change their minds and i can help in so many ways with all this stuff but it's also not our responsibility so yes, sometimes we have that. Yes, sometimes we have the words and the energy and things like this, you know, and that that we saw that, I mean, amplified, you know, at post George Floyd's murder, right? Mm -hmm. 
black folks everywhere were getting hit up. <laughs> I mean, our phones were off the hook, crazy. right? Yeah. People wanting to, and, and there was so much around, so many people were just tired of it. And I was like, okay, I actually, I think because of being black and white, I have a capacity that's different totally. from a lot of just fully black folks, right? And there is this bridge that I'm able to kind of play a role in. But some days I don't feel like playing that bridge. So I have to get comfortable saying no and that being okay and not feeling like I'm letting my people down. Right. Right. And that's a that's a big that's a big part of it. Another aspect of this is folks feeling like they have to jump on the wave of, oh, I got to post something on social media. I got to do this. I got to do that. And I got to show up in a certain way. As you were saying, you know, tone policing and that goes across not just language, but in in all sorts of behavior or hobbies, whatever your thing is, there's so many different ways you can show support. You don't have to be the person that goes out and uses words and, and things on social media. You don't have to do that to actually show support. There's there's artists who can't say a word on a microphone or on a video, but they can paint or draw something that's insanely powerful, right? Yes. That's that's your thing there. Or whatever your skill set is, you just have to figure out what role, how can I help? That's the question. How can I help? Mm-hmm. Well, yes. That just reminded me of part three that I had forgotten, uh, which was show nice. up. Not just to help. Um, mm. And what you were just saying reminded me that I actually made an equity efforts habit tracker yes. and toolkit because that's apparently what I do in my free time. Um, but it was to challenge this notion of what your equity work can look like mm-hmm. so that you can actually look at what is happening in my daily life and where can I make pointed action change versus thinking you got to do what everyone else is doing. So yes, donate, yes, post, yes, show up to a protest. And those are not the only three ways to be in solidarity or show that. Um, And I think, you know, the third thing made me think of show up not just to help because I'm often being asked, I work a lot in environmental and outdoor space, what can we do to make our ex more diverse? What can we do to make our hiking group more diverse? Our, you know, nonprofit are this, are that more diverse? And I think a lot of the times there is this question of how can we get more people of color to come do the thing that we're doing? Right. And I think the, I'm like, what are, do you know any? Do you know any people of color? Maybe before you start trying to get them to come do what you're doing to make yourself feel better, mm-hmm. find out what people of color are doing where you live <laughs> and go meet some people. Go to their events. Yes. Don't just say, hey, we're the Blah 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 Hiking Club and we want to ask the Latino Blah 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 Club to come do an event with us. Why right. don't you just put your ego on the shelf for a second and go to the event mm-hmm. and meet some people? And right. you'll probably find out there are some people there that want to know what you're doing there. Right. You're like, oh, I do this hiking club. And, and then they probably want to come hike with you. But these are these are about relationships. Right. Relationships are what have people come out and support each other. It's not guilt, yeah. sh- shame, or some feeling that my place is supposed to look more diverse. So let right. me diversify my place. Right. Because it's supposed to be that way. Like, go make some friends. And this is why I think I've been like, what is going on right. here? I'm like, don't diversify your hiking group because you think you're supposed to. Right. Go make, go diversify your life. 
and then worry about your hiking group. You know, make some friends. That is incredible. I just don't. This is the part that I keep feeling like I'm looking around like, what? How is this a thing? Yeah. I don't expect anyone who has never gone fishing before, who doesn't know anything about me, to yeah. want to get in a car with me and go fishing with me. That's actually crazy. That like, is. Yeah. You know, like, it is about the relationship with me. Right. Or some understanding that they think of who I am yeah. that would make them do that thing, you know? Right. It's, it's, it, this is, I mean, that's eye opening to me right now. Honestly, that's, I've never thought about it this way. I don't know if it's because I have maybe just by default, I do, I, I show up to different events like, yo, this is dope. Like, mm -hmm. I have a genuine interest, right? I have a genuine interest in culture and different people and different. Not just culture around, you know, race or racial identity, things like this, but right. literally I mean, I hobbies. met you one time. We went to go see, what was it like? It was like they were playing Moana in Spanish at, at some the like park. event. At, at the, the park. park, yeah. It, it was like some cultural day. We were like, this yeah. is dope. Let's go. I yeah. didn't know anyone. Right. And, and I don't know Spanish. <laughs> and it was like, this is about to be dope because how am I going to learn? How mm -hmm. am I going to learn Spanish mm -hmm. if I'm not around Spanish speaking folks? You know, yeah. how am I going to learn yeah, there's just there's so much there's so much that so this is this is part of it, right? I do have that genuine curiosity mm -hmm. for people, for mm -hmm. humans, for experiences, things like this. I have that. Some people don't. Mm -hmm. And this is a call, I think, to those people. If you are trying to diversify your company, your organization, your go and be the minority at other events. Yes. Go and put yourself in these positions because A, you're gonna gain so much more from that than you would just by having somebody show up to your event. Right. Because you're, try you're trying to, in a, in a sense, you're trying to artify mm -hmm. this unique individual and put us in a case that we get to walk with your group and organization right. and all that stuff when the reality is go be the fly on the wall at our event. And just see what you learn and see what interests you and then talk about that. You know, like that's that's baffling. I you just Well, because there will be commonality. Completely. But always. you can't just it's it's trying to I mean, I've been thinking a lot about the difference. Shout out to Brooklyn Bell. Mm -hmm. Um the difference between diversity and inclusion. And um this is partially like just listening to Brooklyn has made me think about this, but like diversity is taking a bunch of people of color and putting them into a room of white folks and not changing the room at all. Yeah. Inclusion. And that is, and that is very often taking a round peg and putting it into a square hole. And yeah. you're like, you're comfortable, right? This right. is good. For this sure. For sure. Inclusion is actually thinking about what, what can we do to this room to actually make it comfortable for everyone? Exactly. Like, can we re, can we, can we change these holes that we're asking people to slam themselves into so right. that it feels better? Right. And I think that is a huge part of it too. It's yeah. like, it's uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable to be the only black person in a room. I've done mm -hmm. it for a long ass time. <laughs> yeah. That's, my whole life. That's and I think real. that is why, like with you and I, this idea of being a bridge, it's literally in our bodies, yeah. right? We don't really have a choice to a certain extent because we have had the conflict of this country in our bodies Correct. our entire lives. Correct. So it's not new to us. Not and at we're, all. we have had to have some degree of learning how to talk about it based on oh, the yeah. fact that it's literally in our bodies. Right. And um, our families and our, our family. I mean, I got white family. <laughs> yep. I got black family. Yes. I got, you know, this family like, that was raised, you know, in the South and very segregated town. And, yep. you know, I mean, 
Yeah. 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 There's there, there's loads, loads built into us. Mm-hmm. Oh. Literally downloaded into yes. our hardware, our yes. software, our ex- entire existence. Well, and I, I wanted to share this um, Lilla Watson quote. It's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's an um, Aboriginal um, activist from Australia. And it says, if you've come here to help me, you are wasting your time. But if you come here because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. And that is one that I come back to all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think that is the difference between being an ally and being a co-conspirator. Because I need it to matter to you in the same way it matters to me. And I think a few weeks back, someone, a few weeks back, something else happened and we had, you know, me and my partner we were both getting we're both black we're both getting checked up on like you good yeah and then there were the people that were like i'm messed up about this i can't even how are you doing yeah and it was like for them what was happening it was january 6th it was january 6th Mm -hmm. um the capital the capital the white terrorist the white supremacy terrorist attack on the capital right and some people were like are you good and i was like are we good? Because our whole Capitol yeah. building was just attacked. That's your Capitol. We should all be... The same as it's mine. Very, yeah. very alarmed and freaked out right now. Right. And I think the idea of this long history... I mean, I don't know exactly what the MLK quote is. Something about the 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 web of... <laughs> he has this one about like how we're all connected in this um, web or thread of... Right. You know... And it's like, we are. So my liberation is bound up with yours. Exactly. And vice versa. What what is her name again, just for folks? Lilla Watson. Lilla Watson. Yeah. So that to me is what literally popped up in my mind in terms of vision is white folks in the fight back, you know, 60s, everything like these civil rights that are frontlining it, mm-hmm. that are literally putting their bodies first, that are the ones that lash out physically mm-hmm. against the attacks mm-hmm. on black folks. You know, that's the difference because you're you're not at that point, you're not electing to choose safety mm-hmm. over the growth of us entirety, right? In our entirety as a society, mm-hmm. you're you could like when you were talking earlier about white passing and, and you know, Asian folks that that can go for white passing, right? Your friend, she's Vietnam German. It's- well, and it's, yeah, for her, I should clarify, it's more like proximity to whiteness almost allows you to pass as white versus the term mm. white passing is normally if you Visual. can't- Yeah, if you Visual. can't tell what someone is, they might be white passing. Right. But the proximity to whiteness, which could allow you to assimilate yeah. quote unquote into white culture without right. having to deal with some of the ramifications which actually is like not actually possible but but yeah. you know the idea that proximity to whiteness is somehow gonna give you a pass right like basically european beauty standards yes especially mm-hmm. in the corporate world mm-hmm. right so that's what that's what pops into mind for me is 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 our are true freedoms being completely connected in the sense that you can't choose to sit home when this march is happening and you know that the black and brown bodies are going to be targeted way way more than your body would be Mm -hmm. you you know that you're able to push that limit farther than anybody who's black and brown so rather than you staying at home in the comfort and being able to do that or sitting being out at the place and sitting back 
you standing at the front. That is to me what mm-hmm. that quote brought to mind is, is it's not, if you're coming here to, to free me, mm-hmm. like that's, that's not, you know, that's not what this is. You, you have to have your freedom bound with mine. This mm-hmm. is where I think of Ubuntu, right? Mm-hmm. Like the perspective of I am who I am because you are who you are and we are in this together. Whatever happens mm-hmm. collectively, you know, we're affected in that sense. So and I, I wish they told more of those stories. Like yeah. I, I feel really grateful that I grew up learning who some of the white people next to MLK were, right. you know, like um, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel was on the front line yeah. a lot of the time. And I yeah. think, you know, when when the riots happened in Charlottesville mm-hmm. um, and the white supremacists were out in the streets, one of the things that they were yelling was Jews will not replace us. Yeah, that was this terrifying um, moment of seeing not only hate and racism against black people, but hate and racism and anti-Semitism against Jewish people. This was a long time ago, though. Wasn't this back in the like 60s? No, 50s? no, no. This was oh, like 2018. Yep. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. That's like present day. Right. And yeah. to, to, to not hear more outrage there mm-hmm. about that was mm-hmm. also something that kind of shook me because I'm like, we have been in this together. Completely. And that out of the same mouth that is saying something about black people is the same mouth that's saying something about. Jewish people is the same mouth that's coming out and saying something about Asian people. Correct. And like, we're seeing it happen in different ways and in different ways. Right. But like the fact that we are all connected and the Mm -hmm. fact that our non-whiteness has been used against us, specifically in this country, but around the world for the entirety of our existence. Right. (laughs) That is, first of all, it's a fact. Right. Which I'm like, why do we have to state things that racism exists? Like, everyone should just know this by now as a fact. But yeah, I think that is, um, I don't know, that's something I I think a lot about because I feel absolutely that all of our struggles are connected. And I forget who the famous quote is that's like, I didn't do anything when they came for this person. I didn't do anything when they came for this neighbor. I didn't do anything when that happened. And at the end of the day, when they came for me, there was no one there. Right. This was about the Holocaust. Yeah. yeah, I recall this. I recall this. This is, uh, I think, okay, we gotta, we're gonna, we're gonna wrap this up. A we little can like bit rapid be- fire because I to. know there's so much, and, and I don't foresee this being your only visit to the podcast. Thank you. Um, so, first of all, thank you for all of the info on everything around identity and how to support and how to how to be better in the world just as a citizen of the world honestly that's that's huge before we go people should definitely read citizen by claudia rankin (laughs) if they haven't (laughs) we're talking about citizen beautiful um before we go i have one other question before we go but before we get to that can you just let folks know uh a you mentioned your equity and inclusion this is on your website, right? Faithebriggs.com. Briggs with two Gs. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's where they can find this. It's downloadable. It's free. Yep. Downloadable and free. Downloadable and free. And it's something where you can have a real honest assessment of your life to say, instead of, oh, yeah, I'm an advocate. Let's do some real objective mm-hmm. observation to see, am I really doing the best that I can? And it's really fun. <laughs> like, because... <laughs> 
<laughs> so it's a habit tracker, which you can put in. Like I have a habit tracker I use every day. It's actually on the, the table. But mm-hmm. I put everything from like drinks, wa- drink water, ate dumb sugar, like spent dumb money, like read yeah. from a book. And then I have my did something bigger than myself today. Right. Educated myself with a podcast or something else today, like donated to a cause today. So you can put all those things right next to each other. Right. And like my friends who have started using the habit tracker, they all do it like every month because basically yeah. every day at the end of the day, you can go through and you can also see what you are and aren't doing. Like I've spent frivolously on there. Yeah. I have invested in friendships on there, you know, because there are days where I'm so down working that particularly living alone, I could just not be a part of the outside world. And I need to, you know, so I think the habit tracker is actually a cool way to just like incorporate some habit stuff into your life. And there's a whole packet about equity um, and different like areas where you can. So it's like a I don't know how many page packet. And then at the end, the last page is this habit tracker that you can print out and use. Go. Super dope. So in the habit tracker on your website, Faith E. Briggs with two G's mm-hmm. dot com. In the habit tracker, there's space where we can plug in our own thing. We want to add some stuff. It's not like, yeah, oh, I wrote I like this. three or four lines for you. And then the rest are blank. Oh, that's beautiful. You can that's print it out each month. Perfect. And then uh, folks can find you on Instagram. Mm-hmm. This is managed by you, not managed by somebody else. Yes. No, it's mine. It's yours. <laughs> I am and anything written comments yes. dms it's anything me. is you 100 mm-hmm. you yes. and this is at faith eve eve mm-hmm. briggs at faith eve briggs no faith eve b b-e-e oh all good no worries at faith eve b it's actually a holdover from when we were finishing college uh everyone was being told to change their last names on facebook so that jobs couldn't find them and so i switched it from briggs <laughs> to b then and it's just been b ever the rock and <laughs> yeah so it's faith eve b-e-e okay f-a-i-t-h-e-v-e-b-e-e yep like a bumblebee mm-hmm. all right also love honey so that's a thing yes i've been rocking with agave lately Ooh. i don't know if you you dive in but that's my jam um <laughs> For another one. Okay. Last question. Okay. Before we go, last question. Would you rather meet your ancestors? Yes. Or your future lineage? Dang. And why? Oh, man. Hmm. I think I'd rather meet my ancestors. I think I'd rather meet my ancestors because, honestly, I, I, I don't know a lot of them. And I think there are probably parts of my life that I could be better at if I knew a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You know, I think context is super important for everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I, you know, I'd love to understand more about where I come from. I'd love to understand more about the strengths on the different sides of my family um, and try to incorporate some of those practices and rituals and knowledges into myself now so that I can then pass them down better. There's yeah. probably stuff that was lost that if I could incorporate it back, I could pass it down better to that future lineage. So I feel like meeting my future lineage feels a little bit selfish, but <laughs> even though I'd love to meet them, but if I could meet my ancestors and like pull knowledge, it could make me better for future. Ah, so this is something that's you see is 
the ability to create change, a positive, impactful change for your future lineage. Hopefully. By meeting the ancestors. I can dig that. I can see. <laughs> no, really, I can see that. And I, I, I can vibe with that. I think it's a terrific answer. a tough answer. question. Yeah, it is a... You know, I actually did something with this woman, Leah Penniman, who's amazing. Um, she wrote uh, Black Farming and she started Soul Fire Farm in New York. Um, and I did a, a like workshop with her about um, incorporating ancestors into your life. And I was sobbing. Really? Like, didn't see it coming. And next thing you know, I was just sobbing, <laughs> like wow. having this thought about what kinds of relationships you can have with ancestors that you don't know. Right. Um, Cause she very much brings like ancestor practice into her work and life. So cool. Wow. She's amazing. That is sick. That, that's incredible. Is she accessible online? Is mm-hmm. you can see? Okay. Mm-hmm. Dope. All right. That is honestly it. The last bit is to, to claim your appreciations uh, for the day. If you're listening, absolutely claim your appreciations for the day. Faith, much love. Thank you so much Thank for joining. You. Thank you. And if you have any closing thought, uh, a message to anybody out there, feel free to, to, to toss that out now. I'm just, you know, I'm grateful. And I, I learned part of that from you. You were doing your three gratitudes a day when we first met and writing those down. And there was, I was trying to do the same thing. <laughs> Um, but I'm grateful for the uncomfortable conversations. I'm grateful for that discomfort and for folks like you and others in my life that don't shy away from those conversations. Um, but I think it does make a big difference for people to be able to have a place to listen. I think platforms like this are really important too, because there are folks that might not know anyone that they can have these conversations with. So ideally, um, creating a platform will allow more people to have access to that. So thank, yeah. thank you for doing that oh. and for having me. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. I'm juiced. I'm juiced. Thanks so much. Uh, much love to you all. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time. Peace. Peace.